And what if, as we feel each breath rise in us, we could imagine in the same way feeling our foot lifting and with each exhale, imagining placing that foot on the path. With clarity, with kindness, breathing in and breathing out. With as much care as we place with each step that we might use if we were walking in a river or a brook where we need to feel and find the placement for our foot. Connected with how much it matters. And with each breath, too, we can meet it with softness, our experience with softness and receptivity. Living the path both internally and externally. And noticing how the path rises up to meet us when we come to life with wisdom, integrity, and a focused and open aware mind. Sometimes in life we might feel that beautiful experience of each step, each breath, gently guiding us and leading us further on the path. But it's also true that each step we can take, each breath can lead us away from the path, away from peace. It truly is a one step, one breath at a time path. Each time inviting ourselves to come into direct contact with wisdom, with compassion, with the life in front of us, in us. Breathing in. Breathing out and landing here. Maybe even experiencing the uniqueness of each breath.
and noticing our choice to be with it. Finding just the right amount of effort for you in this moment and with each next moment. Not too much, not too little. The growing sense of awareness. Intimacy. Inviting a connection to peace, to compassion. to allow well-being to spread throughout the whole body. Inviting the mind to relax into the joy of letting go. Lessening, releasing, softening. Letting go into peace. And with this feeling or the imagining of this spreading, this feeling of life energy, flow, growing within us. Allowing awareness to be broad, spacious. Free. 
sensing the expansion, the freedom. the fullness. All body, all heart, all mind, every part of yourself belongs. Every part of everyone belongs. Allowing yourself to rest and enjoy any sense of pleasure, any sense of freedom. Just allowing the other things, the thoughts, whatever else to fade away, drift by, be seen. Just letting go over and over again. Expanding. like a bird carried on the draft of the wind. Bird that knows when to flap its wings and when to coast, to be carried, held. In broad, spacious awareness.
Letting go into peace again and again. Relaxing deeply. Unified.
And as we near the end of this practice, imagine coming near the end of a path in the woods. Being still on the path and knowing and seeing where it will change. And just take a moment to reflect on the hike, the flight, the journey that you've just taken, as well as the ones you have taken over the last 10 months or so. Maybe even imagine being that bird and seeing from a bird's eye view. There are many moments of deep connection, presence, freedom. The Eightfold Path is called the Noble Path because of the integrity and dignity it bestows. May this be a benefit to the whole world. Thank you for your practice. And in a moment, David will share with us. Just feel yourself and feel your body and take a moment to reorient. Take a cup of a sip of tea, stretch. Thank you, Tanya. <clears throat> Lovely to hear the birds in the garden. Yeah, shifting gears maybe a little bit, moving to a somewhat more active place of, of listening and engaging with the Dhamma. But as uh, I've heard teachers remind us, the, the Dharma talk too is an opportunity to continue the practice, continue sitting with the breath, noticing what's coming up, checking in, showing up for your experience. So today in, the, in sharing a teaching, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Eightfold Path and the Tenfold Path. We'll look first at sort of taking an overview, as Tanya just sort of suggested at the end of the talk, a bird's eye view of the practice of these last several, several months. And then we'll, in the second part, ask where it leads. What does this path of practice make, make available to us, make possible for us? 
And there's a few themes that I'll bring forward. Um, Ying's inspiration of freedom, this orientation toward a path of practice, a way of being in the world, a way of showing up for our experience, a way of seeing that frees, that allows for freedom. I'd like to bring forward Tanya's mention of language. We don't, um, we don't just make up any old path, but we do make this path our own. And one of the most important ways we do that is by adjusting the language so that it supports our practice. And then finally, I will also bring forward the birds. Why not? Um, hadn't planned on that, but particularly Tanya's um, lovely metaphor of this, that a bird knows when to provide effort and when to coast or glide. So I'm gonna share screen and uh, you know, if it's possibly too much visual stimulation, keep the eyes closed. So the first thing I'd like to just talk about, let me see if I can get my screen arranged well. I'd like to see everybody as I go. Just move this here. Yeah, keep an eye on people's expressions as useful. So as an overview of where we, where we are in the path of, of this, this eightfold, eight-factored eight path of practice, there are various layers, I say here, facets, approaches that can be useful in making sense of it. And I'll use, I'm just gonna choose them at random, no plan here, some of the path factors we've explored to illustrate these things. We can sometimes see the path as theory. We learn about wise view, we learn about the, uh, the idea of karma. And then we have an opportunity to put that theory, having some latency here, into practice, right? We maybe um, start to apply karma to our experience of suffering by way of the formulas. Think of this as um, things we come to know, knowledge, maybe even book learning, and then the direct experience of those same things. So we learn about wise view, and then we come to have some direct experience of view, a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing our experience that frees. These are necessary to one another. They're both part of the practice. Neither is better or more useful than the other. It's useful to know some of these things as we've explored them in readings and Dharma talks so that when they show up, we recognize them. Sometimes when we let go of something, it's useful to know what we let go of. So maybe we know something about the full noble truths and then we have an experience of some freedom and we recognize, oh, there's a little less holding on to some notion of self. We make the connection, oh, yeah, in selfing, there's suffering. 
or maybe we see that selfing and suffering are one and the same thing. Moving along, we sometimes can see that the path of practice is about instructions that we follow. And maybe here we'll turn to wise speech. You know, we're given this kind of fourfold screen for recognizing and engaging in wise speech. And so we have clear instructions. And another, at another mode, we can see, we can observe wise speech happening in our own lives. And we're sort of in a place where we go, oh, this is wise speech happening. This is what wise speech feels like in the body. Moving to the birds now. One thing we balance in the practice is effort and allowing. Sometimes we know when to, sometimes we find that it's useful to flap the wings to uh, reconnect with Tanya's metaphor. And other times we're in an allowing mode. And maybe here I'll use wise mindfulness as an example. Mindfulness, that fundamental act of memory of remembering to bring our attention back to here and now, what's happening right here, right now in our experience. That, that, that involves this constant flapping of wings. I'm not gonna flap my wings, it looks really silly. Um, I'll flap my wings, here we go, like this, I flap my wings. A little bit of effort is useful, but then we allow what comes up to come up. I, I, I bring my attention back to here and now, and I notice, let me think of something that comes from my experience of practice. I notice that there's wanting happening. In my experience, it only has two varieties and I use it as a mantra, wanting more, wanting different. Wanting more, wanting different. The allowing part is I let that be there. What's it feel like to want more, want different? How does it connect me with the rest of humanity? for whom as a, if not universal, a common experience. How does it allow me to act maybe in different ways? Finally, using, um, oh, again, mindfulness. What color have I not used? Ah, green. We can see it as a formal path of practice. And other times it's useful to see it as a way or method of meeting experience. And we like to think in terms of metaphors, we have our birds already. The path is a particular kind of metaphor. And one of the shortcomings of the path as a metaphor is in our experience, we expect paths lead somewhere. Uh, and that we sometimes come to expect that the path will lead to a particular place, a particular experience, a particular way of being. And from then on, things will be different. Sometimes that's useful. Sometimes it's very useful to see this eightfold path of practice as a way or a method of meeting experience. And in my first mention of the Pali language in which 
ideas like this come down to us. I'll just mention that the word that's used and translated as path has this sense of way about it in English. A way can be a way to the store and it can be a way in this case of meeting experience, a particular way of seeing that has some freedom in it. So sometimes, and this again, it's very consistent with this idea of effort to make an effort walking a path or to allow the path to open up, allow this way of meeting and greeting experience to sort of unfold. So moving on, we could say, where do we go from here? That's kind of using the path metaphor, <clears throat> you know, what's next? And this is where I'll get into part two a little bit of the idea of an eight, a tenfold path. But having just said this about making a useful distinction in our view of this practice between path and way or method, another way to ask that question might be something like, what is this way or method of meeting experience, meeting the arising of experience in each new moment? What does it make available to us? Because this path, like so much in Buddhist practice, isn't uh, an end in itself. It's, it's a way of opening our experience to the possibility of being more awake, more free. And this is exactly what is suggested in many of the texts, that with the Eightfold Path and its uh, development, two additional path factors become available to, for our exploration, for our understanding, for our engagement. And these can be captured in a couple of words, words I expect you're familiar with. Um, insight and freedom. These are things that the path make available by, by way of its cultivation. And we could also say, it, just subbing, substituting for insight and freedom, two slightly less common words possibly for, for us, um, knowledge and release. And these are the two additional factors that show up in the descriptions of the tenfold path that are found in the ancient texts. Wise, wise knowledge and wise release. And I'll share a screen again, just to bring up uh, a typical sutta passage, a passage from one of the discourses in the Pali Canon. The language that's familiar to you here. This is from Majjhima Nikaya 117, the name of which I'm not sure of at the moment. And I'm gonna change some words for language that supports my path in reading this to you. In one of wise view, wise resolve comes into being. In one of wise resolve, wise speech comes into being. In one of wise speech, wise action. In one of wise action, wise livelihood. In one, of, uh, what, in one of wise livelihood, wise effort. In one of wise effort, wise mindfulness. In one of wise mindfulness, wise samadhi. In Majjhima Nikaya 17, in addition to these, we learn this. In one of wise samadhi, wise knowledge arises. In one of wise knowledge, wise release comes into being. And Speaking of language, one of the lovely things about reading these in their original contexts is you can see here 
um, this balance between say effort and allowing that was just described a few minutes ago. Here, the suggestion is that with the cultivation of each of these factors, the others also blossom. And in the last two, wise uh, knowledge and wise release, it's clear that in one with a well-developed meditation practice, as we've all been cultivating, wise knowledge and wise release can come into being. This isn't an isolated sutta passage. We can see over here that um, it appears again and again in all the major collections. It's in the Diga Nikaya, the Majjhima Nikaya, the Anguttara Nikaya, and the Samyutta Nikaya. And whenever there's multiple references like this, we can trust that this idea of a tenfold path uh, was something that was, um, was uh, shared by the early community of practice in the steps of which we practice in the steps in which we follow. So what is this about? Wise knowledge, wise release, kind of big terms and big concepts. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go full um, sort of, what? Um, <laughs> full intense uh, sort of language analysis for just a minute. And then I'm gonna get really simple and easy again. So just bear with me. Wise knowledge, wise release, wise insight, wise freedom, we could say. What are these things about? Particularly, what do they mean for people practicing in the various traditions associated with the Theravadan, which is the tradition that the Insight Meditation Center um, holds as its central sort of orientation? Wise knowledge, wise release. To, to really understand this, it can be useful to take a look at the language in which we find these and maybe use that language to make the path our own by finding our own language. A key word is actually a compound word or phrase that comes up over and over again is this word, yata bhuta jnana dasanam. You don't have to remember this or ever think about it again. If you, if you like to, you can. But this is the word that um, is, means wise knowledge. And it leads to release, bimuti. And just to focus on this compound term to find out what wise knowledge might be, because I think you'll find it quite interesting. We'll focus on the last phrase first. Yana, yana dasana. Jnana means knowledge or knowing. Dasana means seeing or sight or vision. And so this phrase, which you may have seen before, is frequently translated vision and knowledge. But I like to translate it as verbs. It actually says a seeing knowing a way of knowing that's based on our direct experience of the world. And this is the insight of the insight tradition. If you've ever been to IMC in person, some of us have had that privilege. On the building, it doesn't say IMC anywhere. It says insight on one wall. I've always wondered why exactly that is, but I'm using it here just to say it captures something really important about this tradition. 
it does turn into a noun, something that here is a seeing knowing. And this is what we, I think, find in the cultivation of the Eightfold Path and maybe particularly in the meditation practice becomes available. A seeing knowing, a directly experienced way of understanding our experience or meeting our experience that has the possibility of freedom in it. And we could ask, well, what's that insight about? Or what is the seeing knowing a seeing knowing of? And that's contained in this other term, the yata bhuta. This is frequently translated as things as they really are. And you may have heard this, the insight of this insight tradition is vision and knowledge, vision and knowledge of things as they really are. That's a fine, it's a fine way of looking at it, but it does turn verbs into a lot of nouns. So we could say that it's a seeing knowing, direct experience of arisen things, things as they have come to be. That's what yata bhuta means. It doesn't mean reality or things as they really are. It means that there's a, there's a seeing knowing of the way our mind creates things out of nothing, <laughs> the way things arise in our experience, particularly the way suffering arises. So if we put these two halves together, as I've attempted to do here, we could say something like the wise um, knowledge and wise release that are the ninth and 10th steps of a tenfold path have to do with seeing directly for oneself that the nature of all experience, all our experience is to arise out of nowhere and return to nowhere. And in addition to that, I could have written here to understand, this is where we, in a way, wise view blossoms. Seeing directly for oneself that the nature of all experience is to arise out of nowhere and return to nowhere helps us not cling to any of it, not impose self on any of it. Even if for brief moments, this way of seeing the world can be uh, an invitation, as Tanya extended earlier, an invitation to let go, let be. So this may all seem like a lot, particularly after Tanya's lovely, I was just like, I don't know, why do we need a Dharma talk? Um, and yet I hope it's useful. But let me go back to this. It, this may seem like a lot. It's very rich. It's a path to explore. And I think in the insight traditions, the mindfulness traditions, the ones that we associate with Vipassana, which is translated as insight, um, this is in a way the, the, the full, the full uh, blooming or the full flourishing of a path of practice. But whenever you know, whenever this stuff, whenever it gets heady, whenever it gets on head, you know the basic instruction, the one that was introduced, I'm just sure that I wasn't there, but in the very first sit, at the very beginning of this program, go back to the breath, connect with the breath. And I'll just tell you a little secret about why, why the breath is so important. We connect with the breath for a lot of reasons in this practice. The breath has all these wonderful qualities that when we 
park our attention there, the mind in a way is dipped in these qualities of the breath and it comes to take some of these qualities on. The breath is inherently balanced, doesn't make any demands of us, doesn't even need our attention. The breath is very free. The breath knows when to flap its wings and when to coast. When we connect with the breath, the mind has its opportunity to connect with that balance, the pace, the simplicity, the automaticity of the breathing, the lack of self in the breathing. But in the breathing too, is this fundamental insight of this tradition, right? Constancy and inconstancy. In this case, inconstancy in the middle of constancy. The breath is always there as long as we live, and yet it's ever inconstant. When we return to the breath in this practice, we develop this familiarity with this basic part of the way things arise in our experience. They come and go, they're constant and inconstant. The breath, attending to the breath, accompanying the breath, connecting them with the breath, give us a way to build a sense of comfort with this fundamental discomfort of human existence, that things seem constant, but they're not. We want them to be constant, we know they're not. So whenever you're in doubt, whenever you get confused, whenever it seems like there's a lot of teachings, a lot of traditions, there's the Tibetan, this, the Zen, that, return to the breath. You're safe there. The breath has all you need. Someone once asked the Buddha after a long day of practice. If people were to ask me, what meditation does the Buddha practice, this, this awake person practice? What, what would be the correct answer? And the Buddha says, if someone were to ask that question, the correct answer to what does the Buddha, the fully awakened Buddha practice, the answer would be, mindfulness of the in and out breath, mindfulness of breathing. There's a reason for this. So return to the breath. We're going to take a break um, for a few minutes. And I encourage you during this break, since we're in a day long practice, to keep, as we say, keep close with the practice. Notice how the metaphor of the birds falls, how the words, tumble down and which ones, if any, stick. Um, but go about your um, brief break here uh, with, with, uh, with your mindfulness practice. Go about, as Gil Fronsdahl likes to say, at the speed of mindfulness. <laughs> and we're going to reconvene and start at 11. And I would just encourage people to keep a, a nice flow to, to return a little bit before 11 maybe come back and settle back in a few minutes before 11, just so that we'll begin at 11, sort of back here, uh, sitting with the breath. So thank you very much until 11. Okay, I'm just going to ring a bell, see if I can encourage people to start coming back.
seems like we're pretty much regathered. I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge a question that came through chat after David's talk from someone for whom breathing is difficult, someone who has asthma, and that's the case with many people that breathing is not the neutral experience that is most helpful in settling in meditation. So David responded, and, and I also responded that Part of David's point is that really all experience has these properties if we can tune into something in our embodied five sense experience. So a lot of people might choose to work with sound, just hearing sounds come and go and come and go without getting involved in thinking about where they're coming from or, you know, who's driving that car and so forth. Other people will work with different parts of the body. Maybe some people work with sensations in the hands, sensations in the contact of the bottom with the chair, the feet on the floor, or the whole body. You know, everything is coming and going in this way that David described about the breath. So there's plenty of opportunity to work with your own experience or work with a teacher to help you find something that will have the same effect as the breath. So thank you for that question. So now we'd like to uh, turn to one of our breakout, excuse me, one of our breakout groups, have a chance to connect one more time, a couple times today with your fellow practitioners and look back at the year. So the question we'd like to take up for this one is, how has your engagement with the Eightfold Path increased your sense of ease or confidence in daily life situations? How has your engagement with this PATH program, if it has, you know, whatever's truthful for you, but reflecting back on the year, maybe there's some way in which engaging with this year has increased your sense of ease and confidence as you go about your daily life. So we'll be in groups of four or five, and we'll have 20 minutes for this. And please be aware of how, be mindful and, and kind and generous and all these qualities we've been practicing at how to make sure that the time is balanced with the members in your group. All right. Tanya, are you ready to do this? I am ready. Um I'm hoping everybody that's here right now is going to plan to accept an invitation to a breakout group. So um, if for some reason people don't accept, I'll be watching for the first minute. And if a room gets down to two people, I might um, send you off together to a different room. So, but that would just happen within the first two minutes, um, just so you know, in case, in case a group ends up too small, okay? So please enjoy, please enjoy. Back everyone, I hope you had fruitful time together, sharing the Dharma reflections. So we have some time for uh, some large group sharing of what came up for you or 
any questions or comments or anything you'd like to share? The plan is to spend a few minutes sharing what's come up for you. And then we'll have a settling, quiet sit. And we'll begin our lunch break, hour and a half lunch break at 11.45. So that's the upcoming plan. But please, if anyone, we'd love to hear what came out in your groups that was significant for you or anything that's on your minds at all. You can raise your Zoom. Deborah, let's see. Deborah and Pamela. Um, the, the mention of freedom is the other side of dukkha, um, this dancing of these elements together and the this incredible pandemic that we've all experienced as, as a united humanity is has intensified the dukkha and it, for some of us in walking this path and intensified the opportunity to practice because home became the refuge, couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I value, unlike some of the conversations in the world of all the woes, there's been this incredible opportunity for freedom through the suffering, through this practice of the dance of the two together. Pamela. Thank you. I forgot how to raise my mechanical hand. <laughs> Little ones work. Okay. Yes. I just wanted to say um, there was so much gratitude in our group for this and for the tone that is set by all the teachers and by this school that has enabled us to feel safe in breakout groups, which can be challenging. And so we were all just really expressing a lot of thrill and joy that we had this experience to be with each other. And um, yeah, you guys, uh, my monthly group, I cried the last time. I mean, I just, a lot of clinging was happening. Um, and we did exchange our emails, but you know, it's not quite the same. So thank you so much for the tone you set and the safety you give us because it really does extend, you know, that whole trickle down thing is real, right? Yeah, and I know it starts with Gil and you guys embody it so beautifully. Thank you. Francisca. Thank you. When we started the group, we were talking about right view, right speech, and then uh, we, we found out that the most important thing that came from all these months that could probably change our lives in the future for better lives is the awareness. Awareness of when I'm speaking, awareness of when I'm getting angry, awareness of when I'm doing things that are not right. <laughs> so for, for the group in at the end, we, we all said, okay, that, that's what really has the, the power to, to inspire us to change. And we need to change a lot. We still forget. We still notice when it's happening. And the second element that was very important for some of us was the mentoring. This shouldn't happen without mentoring. 
that helped to crystallize a, a lot of the conversation and discussions when when we were able to share with others more closely. So thank you to all the teachers and the people that organized this. And I hope I will repeat. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Shauna. Hi, thank you so much for giving this to all of us. And um, my relationships have improved so much over the last year. Um, and I, I, it was like the loving kindness, the meta practice. And I was just able to uh, feel some air in, in those old relationships, uh, some breathing room, and also some light spots too. And um, so, uh, yeah, I went on a camping trip with my sister that we hadn't been very close to, and it was wonderful. And um, relationship with my son and his family, where I haven't seen for two years, we're going to visit in the next month. So um, it's, uh, it's the letting go and um, letting go of like the aversion and um, the attitudinal stuff. And also um, loving kindness for myself that how painful it is to hold on to those things. And um, the release of that is, is just um, the release of suffering is, um, <laughs> it's, you know, a feeling of happiness. And um, I know that's short-lived too, but <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful for this experience, you know, and it was more than I thought it would be. So thank you so much. Tanya, can you keep an eye out for physical hands raised on the other pages? I can. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Uh, Gail? Um, well, I just want to add my thanks, and, and um, I'm just seeing the wisdom of so many of so many of us. So much respect is coming up in me for for people, and we talked um, uh, in our group about the importance of right view, and in terms of uh, or wise view, in terms of seeing that things that maybe I'm. I'm having a view, I'm taking a view. Just that alone loosens me into seeing other possible views arise. Um, and I use the example of just seeing and hearing in my husband's tone something he says, and I'll take it as being criticism. Um, but then I'll see with this, with the help of this path, <laughs> sometimes that it is a view, and and uh, and that frees me into seeing. Well, we, you know, what are the other possibilities? He's he's got a tense viewpoint because he's had a hard day at work, or um, all kinds of other causes and conditions uh, going on here. Yeah, and um, oh, that's just so loosening and. and um, 
helps me to see people more um, truly and, and, to, and to see changes as they happen more clearly. Um, so for that alone, uh, thanks. Kevin? Hi. Um, so in our group, we talked um, a little bit about how, um, how the practice has helped us show up for others in a better way. Um, how, by, how the practice has helped us change and grow and how that's impacted um, the people around us and how we're able to show up for them. Um, the importance of uh, Sangha in, in our practice. Um, you know, for, for me, um, I've developed uh, a couple of um, relationships from this group and they've been able to help me practice, um, especially when times are hard. Um, and so they kind of draw me back into their practice. And we also talked about um, you know, handling change and the suffering in the world. Um, how um, we're all dealing with, you know, change of COVID and going back into the world now and um, seeing the suffering of other people in the world and the practice is a great support. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest things was learning to take pretty much all experiences part of the practice. And um, yeah, and one thing I will, for, uh, didn't, wasn't able to finish saying to my group is that I learned that um, someone told me that compassion is balancing um, loving kindness with empathy. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I just saw a hand. Did you see that, Chris? Maureen? Uh, Maureen, yeah. Un unmute, please, Maureen. I want to thank you for having mentors because uh, the uh, I had a mentor, uh, Jim, um, I've forgotten his last name now. All right. But um, uh, it was an extraordinary gift to have somebody once a month to say, well, you know, okay, you're not, you're doing fine because <laughs> this is all about practice. And he kept on repeating that. It was like, you know, cause I kept expecting to. then, And, um, and when I, when I would get lost in my own muddles, as you can see, I can do, um, it, uh, I, it was easy to forgive myself and to continue. And uh, I think that's a really important thing for me. I'm a flibber-de-gibbet. And, um, and so just a handrail, a handrail. And it's, uh, it's really great. And uh, through this eight months or 10 months or eight, eight this and five that and four of those, um, Uh, I think my life has become richer. 
Last call for any more comments. So wonderful to hear everyone's voices. Get a little window into what's going on for people. Carolina Gutierrez has her hand up. Okay, thank you. Who? Catalina? Carolina, who? Carolina. <laughs> Please, yes. The Spanish. <laughs> Like everyone has mentioned a lot of knowledge tools um, available, um, that's feeling and what I think hasn't been mentioned is just to trust the confidence and that it, this is completely the right way to go. And especially we were talking at the end of our um, group, our breakup group, is that um, it's how this has um, occurred in, at the same time as the pandemic and the different experiences we all have had. And I just wanted to say that it's there and and that there's so much trust that this will give us all ease and peace and value the, the things that humanity has brought. Oh, Jane. <laughs> Thank you. I have to say that um, in our breakout group, it, it was just really striking to me, kind of an echo of what you said, that there are just so many people that are practicing this and embodying it, that it's really encouraging in these uncertain times. So... Um, Thank you to everybody. It's reassuring to know that this is being spread and embodied. Thank you. So sweet. I don't know if those of you who are, who are sharing can see it, but very often your shares are generating nodding heads and smiles. And so, you know, sometimes when we're talking, we can't pick that all up, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I wanted to share. Stephanie. Yes. Um, so the last person was talking about uh, humanity and embodiment. And I think this is my fourth time through. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ying Chen uh, for being with me the last three times. Uh, I had a wonderful person before that whose name I regret. I can't remember, but she's very precious to me also. Um, this is the first time. This is the fourth time through and the first time that I really felt like I now embody and have integrated this practice with the Eightfold Path into my practice, that I don't have to... Uh, try to think about it logically that 
it is part of who I am. So I'm really, really glad that I kept coming back until that arose <laughs> because uh, I did share with my groups that um, my big takeaways for this year are a reduction in aversion, an increase in kindness, and an increased ability to see and feel the humanity of people I don't like. Hmm. Which is a really big gift because it, of course, reduces my own suffering. So that's why we're here. So it's really. So I appreciate very much also the tone that you have set. It's very consistent, it's very welcoming, and uh, it allows us to practice without uh, disturbance. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Let's, we've got about three minutes before lunchtime. Let's transition just to a little settling sit here. We've been speaking now for the last while, 45 minutes or so. So just coming back into your bodies, feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your bottom on your chair or cushion. Maybe feeling your hands where they're resting. Letting your attention settle down into the body, the breath, or whatever physical experience helps connect you to the here and now. Just sit quietly for about three more minutes.
So we now have an hour and a half for lunch. Just noticing what it's like to be here now and what it's like when thought begins to take over and we get caught up in the world of our inner imagining. What is What do you lose track of? What do you lose contact with when you drift off into a thought world? And what is it like to literally come to our senses, come back to the here and now, to one some kind of experience at the five sense doors, the sense of feeling, sensations, the sense of hearing, even seeing with your eyes closed, if you really recognize, oh, this seeing some darkness or some pattern of light and dark or something, just recognizing that the senses are operating. And that that's different from being off in a world of thought. When we're here and now, we're able to recollect our intention to be kind to ourselves, to try to relax and not grasp and not resist what's happening. We have a chance to let wise intention in. And of course the mind will drift into thought and then wake up. Back and forth, just appreciating, getting a taste for the difference and an appreciation for the power of presence. Not needing to do anything, not needing to make anything happen. being with experience. As it comes and goes. Maybe more and more often we begin to realize that any experience, even restlessness, sleepiness, maybe some discomfort from eating too much lunch, whatever's happening is not really that different than an in-breath or an out-breath. It's something we can notice. Just, yes, right now it's like this. 
and there's the knowing of it. And in that disentangled knowing lies some freedom. And the breath is still happening and hearing and feeling. Letting the attention come to rest on whatever is most easily available to settle on, center, collect. Collect our attention and settle. Settle with a sense of being awake and aware and knowing what's happening.
Tanya, do you want to introduce the next part? Uh, we didn't decide who was doing that. Sure. First, let me see. Is Diana Clark here? Diana. I'm waving my hand. Can you see me? <laughs> All right. I'm going to put you on um, spotlight, Diana. Oh, okay. I'm famous now. Yes, you okay. are. <laughs> and um, we invited you I here to you. kind of start us off on um, kind of ideas of what might be next. Um, how might people deepen their practice? Um, so would you would you care to share some of your ideas? Sure, I mean, I have lots of things I can say. So should I just like jump in and then uh, yes. you know, encouragement for you and Chris? And yes, so we'll, we'll all take turns, but you're the, you know, you can speak to the all IMC the IMC, you know, programs that are going to be offered. And yeah, so have at it. Okay, okay, great. First, I want to say, uh, it's just was so great to kind of arrive. And um, Chris was doing this guided meditation. It was lovely, Chris, thank you. And to see a number of people that I know here. So that was, I don't know, it was what a beautiful thing to be doing on a Saturday afternoon. So, um, a few things that I want to say, and maybe I'll um, jump in with one thing that's obvious, but um, maybe I'll just say it anyway, is the importance of sitting and that I am see right now, subject to change, but right now, the current plan is that IMC will be opening for um, in-person activities in August. Um, but exactly what will be offered is still being um, kind of fine-tuned and that. And you'll be able to find all the, everything new that comes up, like exactly what the schedule will be, will be on the what's new session or section on the front page of the IMC website. So that's still being finalized and drafted and you can go there. So you'll have opportunities to sit with others, including day longs. If you're in the area, of course, um, half days on Wednesdays, these kinds of things. So just to let you know, that's the current thinking today, right? You know, we'll, we'll see how this, how things unfold, but that's our current thinking. Um, we will, of course, stay online also. So there will be a lot of online offerings. I see, Linda, that you're clapping your hands. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people that are happy about this too. Allison, I can see you clapping your hands too. That's great. And in particular, I, um, I'll let you know about two programs. One is on the IMC website. One isn't on the IMC website yet, um, but will be in a few days or so. So you guys are getting like all the latest news before it's been finalized and put up, uh, you know, up on the website. So one is that um, I will be offering a course on the paramis. Uh, some of you know this, uh, this word, it's, I'm translating it as perfections of the heart. And it'll be offered online, completely online, and it'll be on Sunday afternoons, meeting once a month. And it starts in about one month. It starts pretty soon. And it goes from July till December. And there'll be readings and 
um, some writing. And then when we get together, there'll be small group discussions, very similar to the Eightfold Path program than what you just finished. You guys are all uh, um, meet the prerequisite, which is to have completed the Eightfold Path program and to have a, a, a practice, uh, have been involved with practice for at least a year. So you're all welcome. I hope uh, that you'll join us in exploring these wonderful um, qualities of the heart. It's at an awkward time, 12.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. And I'll just say that's to accommodate retreats. Both those of you who will be sitting retreats and for me teaching retreats so that, uh, that, it, doesn't, so that it doesn't get in the way. So just, and maybe I'll put a little plug for um, sitting retreats, just how powerful that can be, whether it's online or in person. And then the second um, offering I'd like to talk a little bit about is this, um, it's called Equivalence of Ethics and Enlightenment, E, E, E. And then that got so awkward to say E, E, E that we started just calling it E, E, P. Equivalence of, or I don't know how to bring what E, E, P stands for, but that is not on the website yet. It will be on the website maybe tomorrow or the next day. And it, um, it may be similar to the April Path program. We'll be meeting once a month, but it has two versions, an in-person version. We will meet on Mondays. The first Monday will be September 27th is the current plan. So it'll start at the end of September. We're asking people who attend that to be vaccinated. We're also having an online version that um, will be abbreviated, will be shorter, and will be on the Saturday that follows the Monday. So the Saturday version will have a real emphasis on um, small group discussion, Q&A, um, and it, the abbreviated version on Saturday will not be a repeat of Monday, that it'll just be like an extension of Monday. That is, we're, we will be asking people to have listened to the recordings of the Dharma talks that were given on Monday. So the Monday class will happen, everything will get uploaded, and then we're just asking people to listen to the Dharma talks. And then Saturday, we'll get together and talk about them, do small, go into breakout groups, maybe do some guided meditation, those types of things. The teachers for the ethics class, the Monday in person, Gil Fronstall, Diana Clark, me, and uh, Max Erdstein. And uh, for the Saturday version, will just be me. So the prerequisites for the ethics class is a little bit different than for the Parami class. That is, we're asking people to have some retreat experience and to have been practicing Buddhism longer. I don't have the numbers exactly in my head. It might be five years of Buddhist practice and five retreats. So for some of you, that might be um, a high bar right now. But this is an, uh, an opportunity for experienced practitioners to kind of really dig into some of these ethics questions. What did the Buddha say? How do they apply to our daily life? What are some of these ethical dilemmas? How do we work with it? Um, assuming that everybody already has an established practice and a real familiarity with um, kind of the, the practice that we do here. Um, 
maybe that's maybe that's kind of what um, I have to say too. I could say a little bit about what's happening at the retreat center if that's helpful, but maybe um, I'll turn it back to you, Tanya, and see if you uh, have something you'd like to add or say or question. Okay. Well, um, so I know Ying is with us with, for a shorter period. Um, so maybe next up, let's have Chris talk and then Ying and then David, and then we can come back to you, Diana, and myself for whatever's missed. So thank you, thank you so much for being here and sharing all that. All right, so now I will see if I can spotlight Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. I just wanna highlight two path-related opportunities upcoming. One, I think you've already hopefully received the mail. We have a, a month from now, July 10th and 11th, Gregory Kramer is going to offer on Zoom a two-day uh, immersion in his view of practicing with the path. And he's a, he's a great teacher. He's not from IMC, but he's very much in our same scene. And he created this practice called Insight Dialogue, which really um, he emphasizes the relational nature of and the communicative nature of our practice. So he's going to run this retreat as two hours, kind of early in the morning, 8 to 10 Pacific time, and then late afternoon, 4 to 6. That will be the group. He'll talk some, and there'll probably be some insight dialogue work. And then during the day, it's you're encouraged to go about your life, but you can sign up to receive texts from the retreat that should remind you every once in a while of things you might pay attention to and notice. So it's an interesting format he's come up with. And I also just want to mention that he has a book out fairly recently called A Whole Life Path that a lot of us are really enjoying reading. It's a kind of a new angle on the path. Lots and lots, almost overwhelming amount of suggestions of reflections and practices that you can do. So it's a very rich book on the path. If you like to read and you and you that would be a way for you to uh, stay in touch with the program. And then second, of course, we'll be doing this again next year. And uh, the same team of Tanya, Ying, David, and I will be teaching it. We're going to do the whole program on Zoom. We're thinking about trying to find some way for the locals to get together at some point, but it's going to be essentially a Zoom event again next year. And um, lots of people signed up in the last couple of months for this program, and you might be thinking you're enrolled for next year, but you're not. So I'm going to send out a clarifying email in a day or two about... Uh, how to sign up for next year. Lots of people have taken this more than once. You know, several people have shared today how it's their second or third or fourth time through this, and it's finally beginning to sink in. And, you know, I've been teaching this since, well, Diana taught the first one, and I joined in a little bit in 2013, and I've been doing it ever since. And every year it gets deeper and more, more interesting to me. So... There is that opportunity. Maybe some of you kind of audited it this year and you're wanting to work with a mentor next year. So the mentoring will be available. So, and also, as far as I know, we plan to keep offering this indefinitely. So if it makes sense to you to take a year off and, you know, come back to it in a year or two, I, I think you can pretty much believe that it will still be around. So um, those are the two things I wanted to highlight. And Ying, is Ying here? Yes, I'm here. Any more ideas to share? 
Yeah, so um, so maybe I'll say a few words. And just to say, uh, I, uh, as I'm listening to Diana and uh, Chris, I'm just appreciating um, the various programs that IMC and IRC have been offering all of these years. I know when I took um, the Noble Eightfold Path, oh, almost 12 years ago, Diana was my mentor. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I feel this is such a delight uh, in this continuing, continuing um, and so for me, maybe I'll share a few that I'm personally involved and some of them are a little more specific. And so um, I, I have been facilitating a group and that is uh, supporting people with health challenges. Um, so this is a group where we have an opportunity to take what we learned in Noble Eightfold Path to practice uh, being, uh, sitting with the challenges of our bodies and challenges in our mind and really creating space to hold this and, and cultivating um, Brahma Viharas and cultivating mindful awareness uh, in the challenging situations. And so that's a group and that's been going on for more than 12 years now, um, before me, uh, some um, um, Nick Bennett, another um, uh, person who started the group, had run this group for over 10 years. In the last year or so, we put it up on, um, on, on Zoom. And so, so now this group is opening up to uh, a broader uh, set of people. And I, I know in, in this group, I've seen some faces who also show up in this group. <laughs> and then the other group I'll mention is that IMC does have a Asian Dharma circle. This is for those who maybe self-identify as uh, having an Asian background um, to uh, gather. And so Li Lu Chen and myself um, facilitate this group. And uh, we recognize as um, today was signifying this um, uh, it's importance to have a safe and comfortable space for um, uh, different uh, ethnic groups or different affinity groups to, uh, to gather. And in this safety, one can learn Dharma and practice Dharma. And so this Asian Dharma circle, we uh, meet up, uh, we usually um, meditate together, and then we share some uh, Dharma reflections. And then we share with, with each other, really holding space uh, to connect uh, as a uh, affinity group. So that's another one that's ongoing. Uh, both of those groups are listed on the uh, IMC website. Uh, if you go under... Uh, Oh, I can't remember <laughs> now. Maybe affinity groups, and you'll find us um, there. There'll be information there as well. I think that's all I I have. Thank you so much, Yang. Thank you so so much. Now I want to invite David to come um, forward and maybe share some of his thoughts about how to deepen and continue your practice. Um. Yeah, I think I would start by just echoing 
a couple of things that have come forward in what, what Diana and Yang and Chris have shared. One is that things do continue to evolve in, in the offerings and the, the modalities of the offerings as IMC and the retreat centers start to move, you know, cautiously, wisely, I think, toward reopening and, and sort of in-person and public uh, gatherings that feel safe and supportive of practice. So keep an eye on the website. And if you haven't done so, you can uh, receive by, by uh, sharing your email, which won't be shared any further. Uh, you can receive a, a notice uh, email, um, sort of upcoming events email on Tuesdays. So, um, so keep an eye on that website. I, you know, I was, I'm surprised that Diana and Yang didn't mention one other offering that we together offer with a fourth colleague, Kim Allen. Um, for those who enjoy ways to explore um, the teachings that come forward in the, in the Pali Canon, uh, Kim, Diana, Yang, and I offer a series called a practice and study series through the Sati Center. And that's another website to just check out, sati.org. Um, but we offer in a typical year, we've been doing this for a couple of years. We, we sort of been doing this on our own and then started inviting people to join us in the shared love for taking the, exploring the teachings in the forms that they come to us in the early literature and f exploring how to, how to practice with them. And uh, did just a little bit of that today in the Dharma talk. And uh, anyway, if that's something you're interested in, check that out. I also want to just echo what Diana said, the sitting practice. That also, I think I stressed in the, in the Dharma talk. And I think maybe in a way that leads us, it's not quite time yet for the breakout groups, but I guess the overall comment I would have, and this goes away from sort of programs and what you might do next to sort of attitudes and orientation toward the practice. And one thing we're going to talk about in the, in the breakout rooms shortly is just sort of where the momentum is in your practice. And I think uh, as sort of a parting word of um, support, I would just offer the idea that it's very, very common. Uh, and I think much reinforced in our culture that we focus on what's not working, what's going wrong, what needs fixing plays into our whole orientation towards solution finding and um, I think your practice can really be strengthened going forward by, by identifying where the momentum is in your practice now with the, with the culmination of this exploration of the Eightfold Path and the various factors over nine months and really doubling down, as it were, on where you sense there's sweetness, where, there's, um, where you find the heart opening, where you feel that you, that, that you find a way of seeing the freeze developing in your practice um, leaning into those, inclining the mind towards those. And that may not be taking the next class because this really isn't a path about accomplishment or even getting anywhere. It's really about, as Diana pointed to, sitting right here, knowing what comes up, being really curious and non-judgmental about our experience and leaning in toward where there's, where there's free, freedom, openness, um, and momentum toward those things. So anyway, that's sort of a general comment. It may or may not fit. I don't know, Chris or Tanya, if that's what you had in mind, but that's, that's what comes to me after hearing what Ying, uh, Diana, and Chris shared is some of that kind of just attitude about hold this practice really um, carefully and 
There's no reason to push it. There's no reason to try too hard. There's plenty here, uh, plenty here right now to find some freedom in. That's great, David. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, I am going to just say a couple of things. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to ask Diana to come back to talk about retreats. I think that would be a great way to end it. So a couple of other groups that are currently online and um, probably will stay online are there's a, a Buddhism and 12 step group that's once a month that, that you can find on the web page. And there's also um, a weekly or more um, at home in the world for people in their 20s and 30s. So this is a lovely community um, for people and they do, they do connect outside of um, the time that they meet formally. So, um, and that's led by Max Erdstein and the Buddhism in 12 Steps is led by Jennifer Lemus. So I just wanted to put in a plug for those. And then one more plug, which is actually for happy hour and maybe Diana, you could share a little bit about happy hour. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tanya. Maybe for, well, great, I'll talk about happy hour. Um, our current thinking, so Nikki Mergafori and I offer happy hour, um, 6 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, so five days a week, and it's um, focusing on compassion and loving kindness practices. And our current plan is to stay online. So we'll continue to be doing this five days a week, and we, and we might add an in-person um, element uh, that we haven't decided yet, but if we do that, it probably will be in September. So that's there. And Tony, I didn't know if you also wanted to mention the LGBT. Yes, yes, group. yes, yes, please do, yeah. Well, it's on Sunday evenings, but you know, I'm a little bit confused uh, about which Sundays. I know at one, they might be like every other or twice a week. I don't know, do you know? About uh no i i can look but um it, it, okay yeah yeah so there's one tomorrow perfect so the, and then one with yes one no one yes one no. yeah so our calendar we tried to keep the calendar up to date so you can always check the calendar yes and in Spanish, Dharma in Spanish, fantastic, that uh, Andrea Castillo and others do is on Tuesdays also. I don't know, I feel like so happy just hearing how much we're just making the Dharma available to so many people and so many different ways. It's, I don't know, it's very touching for me. So many, and maybe I'll say, and so many uh, volunteers coming together to make it happen too, and the teachers coming together and it's uh, inspiring. Um, to, about retreats, I didn't see Ying earlier, so I said maybe I would say something, but maybe Ying wants to say a little bit about retreats at IRC. I don't, Ying, I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know if you'd like to say something or. Well, yeah, there's so, there's so much to say about retreats in IRC. Um, but I think I, I uh, resonate with uh, all of the teachers and the, uh, the importance of meditative practice. I think, um, and this year with the, uh, I guess since the pandemic, 
that really opened the door for us to offer online retreats. And um, that has been very powerful for many people, including myself. Um, and, um, and that's still going on. The plan is to continue to offer online retreats uh, in 2022 and, and hopefully moving forward as well. But as um, the reopening start to happen, uh, we are going to have in-person retreats um, beginning end of August. And some of you will be, um, the teachers will be teaching some of this in-person retreats. And this in-person retreats uh, also offers just such a wonderful opportunity for us to deepen the practice in a sanctuary where we can kind of put behind a lot of things that may be um, pulling our attention away. As I sometimes I feel like going there is like going to a sacred space. Um, and not that, you know, the home can't be such uh, a thing, but it is, you know, given uh, the conditions of the retreat center, it's extremely conducive for cultivating our heart and mind. Um, by being in that space. So I highly um, recommend uh, to make some time to participate uh, in those. And both the online retreats and the in-person retreats are now, um, whatever has been confirmed, uh, are on insightretreatcenter.org. And so please do check on the insightretreatcenter.org website. And there will be more retreats being put uh, in the website and they are still being planned at this moment. And, but they will be forthcoming uh, in the coming weeks and months. And so do check on those websites uh, frequently and they do get updated quite frequently. I think that's all that I will say. I'll give it back to Diana. Thank you, Ying. Diane, is there more you would like to share about um, retreat practice? Nope. I, I just wanted to reiterate that uh, IRC will be doing both in person and online, which is really wonderful. Great. Great. David, Chris, anything else that you guys want to share? Okay. Maybe we can just um, now just allow for people to ask a few questions and then David, you can um, you can sort of shift into the discussions and stuff like that, okay? I'm trying to un um, take you off of spotlight, Diana. So hang in there with me, everybody. <laughs> That's weird. I think she's off. I'm not getting, I'm getting you now. Oh, good. Okay, great. Okay. So does anyone have any last minute, any other questions for clarification about any of the things that have been shared or um, questions about retreat or practice, any of these groups, anything at all before we, we shift? Hi, Jerry, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I was under the impression, which could be wrong, that um, <clears throat> the eightfold, this program that we're just completing today could be a prerequisite through the Insight Meditation Center 
for further more specific sutta study classes. But I didn't hear any mention of that. So I don't know if that's changed or it's in, the sutra study is every other year or something. I didn't, I didn't know about that. Okay, well, I'll let um, Ying, Diana or David answer that one. Can I say one thing? Um, Cause I forgot to mention that there will be a sutta study course. I forgot to mention it. Um, we'll be with the Majjama Nikaya. Um, all the details have not been worked out except that there's an idea that we're going to teach it. And um, so you have to keep an eye on the website and that will be with Gil Fronstall and me primarily. So, and maybe I'll just say briefly that yes, the Eightfold Path Program is a prerequisite to these three other year long programs that we have. We offer one a year. It's kind of Sila Samadhi Panya, kind of a year. And we're starting Sila this year. The uh, equivalence of ethics and enlightenment is the Sila part. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you. And I would just add to what Diana shared about the study and practice series that Ying, Diana, and Kim Allen and I do. We, we actually like to emphasize that there aren't prerequisites, particularly there's no expectation about reading Pali, the language of the, uh, of the canon. And uh, some of you here have participated in those courses and you know that we you know, we, we like to really keep it open to everybody. So there's no, there's no prerequisite there. Please join us. Jane, is that you? I can't, um, okay, great. Would you like yes. to share your question? Or um, two parts, the day long retreats that we used to have in person, do those count as the five, you know, in the five or do they have to be multi-day retreats? That would be one question. And the second question, if Chris, you could share the name of that book again that you mentioned, that's what I have. Yeah, the prerequisites for the ethics class are multi-day retreats. Uh, the book is called A Whole Life Path by Gregory Kramer. And it's available to buy. And maybe it's a good time to move to some breakout discussion. Uh, I'll, pr I'll provide a segue. Um, and we can, we'll have time toward the end, too, for additional questions that can be on these, these uh, topics that have just come up or anything. Um, and, um, oh, I had a thought about um, something related to offerings. I'm going to let it go. So, uh, and maybe it'll come later. So why don't we why don't we go to breakout rooms, and let's um, let's take up this question that I, I sort of provided an early segue to. Uh, that is the question of how might we um, how might we build on the momentum that this program has created, and particularly sort of finding in your own practice where there's momentum. And what, you're, what you feel most inspired to carry forward with you from this work. And again, leaning in then to the sort of positive, constructive, creative, generative aspects of the practice. Um, and maybe even consciously sort of leaning away a little bit from some of the, some of our just natural, I think part of it's um, hardwired and part of it is certainly cultural, a tendency to look for trouble. 
and to end up focusing a lot on um, the suffering part of the path. You'd be, you'd, you'd think sometimes that this is a path about suffering, but it's not. It's a path about freedom. And this is, this is where this question goes at the end of this year is sort of where do you sense that opening and momentum? So we'll break into groups of four or five people. And as we've probably said many times over the course of the year, you can think about this as an exercise in wise listening, wise speech, and also of listening deeply and well to the experience of um, friends, peers, colleagues in the Eightfold Path program. Maybe it would be good to save time to start with the person alphabetical order with the, the first letter that appears in, in somebody's identifying their chosen uh, name and possibly just go around in a, in a circle, as it were, um, not saying each time everything you could say about where there's momentum or juice or you know, light or opening in your practice where you want to kind of lean in coming into this the summer. Um, maybe just dropping in one thing for others to hear and, and reflect on. As you go around, you'll find that what other people have said sort of stimulate your own further, deeper thinking about it. So if we're ready, Chris, let's go into the breakout rooms. We'll be, we'll be about 20 minutes. So you can keep that in mind as you go around the five, dropping things in. And uh, yeah, see how, listen, how carefully you can listen and what, what arises for you. Uh, about where there's momentum, where there's sweetness, where there's um, freshness, where there's freedom. And I think we're ready to go now. So 20 minutes and share the time. Oh, we're going to go around. So that's easier. Okay. Enjoy. Oh, are we back? We are back. I had the wrong view. Welcome back, everyone. We were waiting. So I hope that was nice. I'm looking around at people's faces. Sometimes you can sort of see coming back from a breakout group. Um, so I hope there was an opportunity to take some um some enjoyment in each other's practice and uh, to share a little bit about where the momentum was and maybe help identify where there is momentum in our practice. Sometimes it's hard to find. Uh, and sometimes it can be helpful to hear other people's experience to sort of bring out for us what, you know, what's, uh, what's um, where, where we can lean in. So why don't we, I just, Curious, why don't we ask and see if there's any sharing that comes up, anything that would, be, that would be useful to share from your group. We don't need a spokesperson from each breakout room or anything, but just if anything moves you, raise your hand and let's just, let's just see. And then, we'll, and then we'll open it up to sort of more, you know, sort of more general Q&A. But first, let's see if anything inspiring uh, came up. Doesn't have to be inspiring. Sorry, don't mean to shove it into a box, but anything uh, inspiring or interesting came up in the uh, in the breakout rooms. Go ahead and raise your hand, and if the spirit moves you, you can also just jump in. I think because we we're a pretty small group. Gail. Several of us were talking about the 
pleasure of um, not taking things personally, <laughs> getting a glimpse of, um, of how lovely it feels um, through mindfulness, which from the beginning has been um, paired with the word uh, non-judgmental, and, and it just seems so so much a challenge to really get them. Um, and um, what I wanted to ask is, uh, I didn't hear too much talk about not self, um, which I you know, have encountered in lots of sources. Um, so I was wondering if, well, I, you know, I would recognize and I would, I would welcome any comments on, on it. So, um, maybe yeah. help on reaching it too. Sure. You know, I'm happy to start and then pass it to other colleagues, but I would just start by saying, you said it all. <laughs> I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm happy to be here as a student of all of you, student of the Dhamma as we share it. But what you noted, Gail, is that people spoke in your group, if I remember the words, I may not catch, capture it perfectly, that people noticed how pleasant it was to not take things personally. Yeah. And that's precisely how we lean into the freedom that's available. When we, when we get less yeah. attached to things with our selfing, you know, that taking it, per, thinking things personally, there's, there's pleasure. And it's a, it's, this, is a, this is a contentment or pleasure that is wholesome and onward leading. It points towards the, the freedom that's available. So again, I would just, you know, you're, you're saying it and you're teaching you're, you're passing on and sharing the teaching with the rest of it. We could go into all the not self teachings, but this may not be the time, but that's about as much as we need right now, I would say. But I'll ask Tanya, Diana, Chris, if they have anything to add. I was going to say maybe not, but then Diana, you unmuted. Yeah, so maybe I'll just say, this is some, not the not-self teachings. It's something that we unpack and explore um, with a little bit more depth in the Entering the Stream program, which is one of these programs that is after the Eightfold Path program. So maybe I'll just offer that. I'm sorry, what program, Diana? Entering the Stream, which is the name we have for the wisdom, the Panya version. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. And to that, before calling on Della, I would just add that also in the Sutta study classes, we the, the last one we did, four-part series on, uh, on the, the Sutta that contains the famous simile of the raft, we, we devoted a lot of it to the not-self teaching. So some of the specific and, and uh, really deep teachings we take up in these other offerings. And th these are places uh, to, you know, continue continue um, deepening the practice. So, uh, Della. I mean, it's been discussed, um, not in this, not just in this last breakout, but in the other breakout too. Uh, but some of us that are doing the Zoom, which is great, there's a lot of good Zoom offerings. But for me and others that are not close to a community when we get out here, you know, it's the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. And I've been looking for a good Sangha for five or six years. 
So that makes it very difficult. That's just some feedback. Um, the second thing is, is that um, I had a chance at the beginning of the pandemic, pan, pandemic to do a five-day online retreat, which was great. But a lot of retreats, not just with IMC, they want you to do five long retreats. And a lot of them are the part their prerequisites is five day long retreats and you can't get in them to, to take them so that maybe you could go further down the line. Now, that's not necessarily my goal. I'm older and I'll stay just in this, this little, you know, I can't, uh, I can you know, my, everybody's needs are different. And, um, but I think this sense of community that people say, oh, it's so much better in person or can't wait to get in person. It's just like, I'll just stay on Zoom. But, you know, so anyway, if you wanted to address that or if it's just feedback, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate both of those comments, both of those comments, Stella. And, you know, I think, I guess we didn't, in our, in our um, breakout group, the teachers talked about just the, you know, the commitment that IMC has to continuing the online offerings for exactly the reasons you talk about. The IMC Sangha is now global and, you know, has this very significant uh, virtual component. So there's, there's a lot of commitment to continuing that. And we all recognize the importance of Sangha community in, in, our, in our practice. Uh, Tanya, Diana, um, Chris, any thoughts about the, the particularly uh, the, the, the five um, retreat thing? There, there can be a catch-22 there. I'll just say I, I, I spent some time there. I had young kids. I was the principal uh, caretaker for young kids for a while, and it takes time. Um, there is value in the retreat practice, and at the same time, you know, your practice can go very deep if, if, if retreat practice is for any number of reasons not there. I think sometimes there's this implication that, you know, retreat practice is, is the absolute bedrock of, you know, awakening. Um, a, lot of people, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So don't feel like that's an obstacle. And um, anyway, I encourage you to just um, keep practicing and, uh, you know, Anyway, I'd say that. Diana, you got something to say on that? Yeah, I'll say that. Um, I, I, Della, thank you for bringing this up. I, I can really appreciate it. It's not so easy to go on retreat practice. Maybe it's a little bit easier now that we have Zoom. And if you feel like your, your practice is ready and you really want to do some of these classes in which we're saying that there are prerequisites, just send an email saying, you know, I think that actually it's, this is appropriate for me for whatever reason. So we um, want to support uh, people who have experience, but we don't want to be excluding people either. So I, I wanted to say that, but I, I thought I'd let Diana say it. So she says it with more authority. But yeah, I think that's. I'm glad you said that, Diana. Thank you. <clears throat> Linda. Well, I also just wanted to address Della's comments and put a plug in for Diana uh, for happy hour. When you talk about looking for a sangha, um, I mean, we have, we live in Utah. I mean, we have a little tiny one, you know, there's five of us um, and we're on zoom now, believe it or not, but happy hour. I feel such a connection um, to the folks 
that are there every night of the week if you want to be with them. And I mean, we've got people from Australia and we all recognize each other. And, and then the beautiful thing, Diana can add to this, I, I don't exactly understand it, but what Neil does is afterward, um, one of our members has agreed to share highlights or references that Diana and Nikki have have brought up and we can all email each other if we want and other people add something. And so it's just beautiful. It's a Sangha, you know, and yes, it's on zoom, but um, it's lovely. So I wonder if in the, thank you, Linda, for that plug. And I think, I think this is really true. We create, we create Sangha as we go and, and keep expanding the bounds of what it means even to create a community of practice. Um, I just wanted to make sure there's space here in the last few minutes of, of you know, questions and answers for any, any questions about um, the teachings today, any, any more general things that come up around where to go from here, uh, how to continue to lean into um, suggestive areas of practice or momentum, anything, anything else come up around those things to, that, that need a response or reflection? I would ask, this is kind of a logistical question, um, but I, Tanya, I loved your guided meditation earlier and this morning, and I, I noticed the recording happened maybe in the middle of it. So um, I'm wondering, <laughs> this might be a lesson in impermanence here, um, but I'm wondering if there's, if you have a recording of a similar guided meditation that you might be able to share. If not, then that's totally okay too, but it was really, really sweet. It was really special. That's great. Yeah, the same thing happened last year. So uh, we have uh, kind of the same meditation, similar anyway. Um, but I think, you know, the recording came on, we missed the beginning, but there's, there's, there'll still be some stuff there. And um, come back next year, maybe I'll do it at the day long again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Having asked for more questions, we have sort of a deluge of questions. Let's, let's uh, take up at least a, uh, one or two more. I saw that Shauna put her hand up, and I just want to make sure that if that was intentional and the question remains, um, put your hand back up again. And... Okay. Is that a signal to talk? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I just have a, a, a logistics question, too. I mean, what's the difference between IRC and IMC? Are the retreats only at IMC or I just, could you clarify that a little bit? Sure. And I, I think I can do that. Um, any of us probably can, but the Insight Retreat Center, IRC, is, is the retreat center associated with IMC and it's in Santa Cruz or near Santa Cruz. Um, and IMC, uh, the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City hosts day-longs and programs, but doesn't do multi-day residential retreats. That is where the retreat center fits in. There are, there are lots of retreat centers in the Insight Meditation universe. And, um, you know, so IRC isn't the only retreat center. And this is true in terms of the prerequisite. One not, need not sit retreats at IRC um, to partake of these IMC offerings. 
that wasn't explicitly a part of your question, but just in case there was that confusion, I, I try to. And so I welcome. see people posting in the um, things, the, you know, other aspects of that. Thanks, Shona. So if I did a retreat at Land of the Medicine Buddha, that would count as a retreat? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's, 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 there's lots of retreat offerings out there, and I think more and more, both virtual and at, retre at retreat centers. So. Uh, Deborah. Yes, I'm wondering about steps nine and 10. You mentioned it in the beginning and um, seems, you know, if there, even though it's not a, a sequence in terms of folding it into the eightfold practice and learning. I missed the very first, like three, four words you said, did you say wise intent or what was the question? The very first part? Steps nine and 10. Oh, steps nine and 10. Yeah. Or factors nine and 10. Factors. In a way, this yeah. is where... As I was sort of saying, the path opens up into sort of a realm of possibility. Practicing the path, cultivating the eight factors kind of creates this place or this um, way of meeting experience in which insight and deep letting go can happen or insight and freedom or um, knowledge, a seeing, knowing, as I proposed, and release. So... Anyway, that's where they that's where they they fit in. I like to think, as I as I think I sort of laid out, that they they emerge naturally with the cultivation of the path. We don't have to do very much. We have to get out of the way and allow them to blossom. And that's a very brief sort of synopsis of uh, the earlier comments, but probably all that there's time for right now. Did that help make sense? I think I'm asking about. There's the eightfold program. Is there a focus oh. on? on factors nine and 10 as kind of, sorry, yeah. No, 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 you were clear. I completely, I was going, I had a place I wanted to go and uh, I wasn't listening very carefully. Thanks. No, I think you'll find that these, that this, this feel that is what, what the direct experience of constancy and inconstancy that turns up over and over again in all these programs. And perhaps it's more pronounced in entering the stream than it is in the one devoted to Sila. And yet it's, it is the heart of the practice, no matter sort of which factors we're cultivating or how we're working with the four establishings of mindfulness or whether we're doing a meta practice with Diana and Nikki on a, on a, on a weekly basis. So I'm just conscious of the time and I want to look around and find Chris and Tanya and just make sure that we have time for a couple more questions. Is that okay? Should we go yeah, to 45? I'm here. It feels pretty important. We'll just shorten the guided meta a little bit if we can um, try and just respond and, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, we've got so why don't we, okay, thank you. Why don't we uh, go to Christine and then Pamela? And again, the responses may be just a little brief, but, but we want to make sure we close with some, with some uh, meta. Christine. Hi, um, this is actually in response kind of to something that Della was saying earlier, and I had it in the chat, but I realized like not everyone can see it, and I had just asked, um, because some of us really want that in-person sangha again, if we got a group together in our own little community to come together and practice with the online community, um, if that would be okay and supported in some way by this organization. And um, that was 
uh, responded to by Chris Cliff, and she was welcoming of that idea. And if there was anyone that wanted to do that, we could write um, email eightfoldpath at insightmeditationcenter.org with our ideas and ask if there was, I guess, if we needed some support or ideas that that we could start a conversation that way. That's great. I'm going to let Chris's response stand and just say that we're, we're in this all together. We're exploring and experimenting in this post-pandemic era where, you know, this, this larger group of people have come together and, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to support practice however, however we can. Um, Pamela had her hand up. She went away, probably just recognizing time. I just want to make sure that uh, that I provide an opportunity for Pamela to ask a question if she would still like to. And I don't see her face, but Pamela, come forward. I'm, I'm, no, I'm fine, David. Thank you. Medicine okay. wonderful. Thank you, Pamela. All right. I'm going to turn it back to Tanya. All right. Well, just maybe oh, take some breaths. Maybe just acknowledge the feeling of um, any sense of tension or pressure or wanting more or wanting different that came up during this, you know, very important part of our time together, really. And maybe just, just really see and bow to the part of you that wants to go deeper in the practice, that wants more Sangha, that wants more Dharma, wants more Buddha, right? Just, just, just meeting that and holding it with love and care and maybe meeting it with the phrase, may we. May we all be supported May we all find opportunities to connect with the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. May we all be safe and able to find all kinds of ways to connect with the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. May we stay attuned to the voice within that part that is saying, yes, I want the Buddha, I want the Dharma, I want the Sangha, I want, I want less suffering for myself and for others. So may, may we listen with care and wisdom. May we find ourselves feeling more and more content, more and more connected, more and more at ease. May all of us here who have been doing this practice 
coming and sharing and engaging. May we all be held in a field of love. May we be healthy and happy. May we be at ease. And may all of those that we know may they too be held in this field. May they be safe. May they be happy. May they be healthy. May they be at ease. And just imagine that spread of well-being, of care. May all those that have been touched by us then touch others. And may we all in this extending and growing way reach out, connect and cover this whole beautiful planet with awareness, intention, wisdom, open-heartedness, ethical action, and true mindfulness, presence, So that the whole world is surrounded, connected, and that everyone everywhere has an opportunity to come to this practice. May we be safe and protected from both inner and outer harm. May we be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May we be healthy and strong and care for ourselves joyfully. May we be free from the grip of worry, anxiety, free from the grip of greed and hatred.
May our minds and hearts be clear. So that we may all be at ease. And just choosing whatever part of Dharma, whatever part of Metta would most support you right now and practice in your own way for another minute or two. And if we'd like to accept this invitation, I invite you to bring the qualities of metta into your eyes. To see through the lens of metta. And then to open your eyes and look at each person here with those eyes filled with metta. And with those eyes, see the eyes of others filled with metta. Receiving and offering and receiving and offering metta right here. Thank you. Thank you. Chris. Thank you, Tanya. So we'd like to close with a little echo of how we used to close when we were live which is we used to offer a little scroll to everybody with a summary of the factors of the Eightfold Path and the pith teachings of each element on it. I wish so much that I could personally hand one to each one of you and bless you and appreciate your beautiful work this year. So please accept 
this scroll and we will of course send them out as a file in email in a day or so for you to print out your own hard copy version if you want to. They're on, they print best on legal paper and uh, they've got a little background of the wheel of the Dharma, which is another great way of understanding the path. David's metaphors of the way and the path. It's a eight spoked wheel that rolls along from one wheel to the next and back and forth as needed. So please accept this from all of us. Gratitude for your practice. And let's close with a sharing of the blessings of our practice, the sharing of merit. So may all the wholesome energies of all of the practice that's come out of this program and your lives over the last year, radiating out to all the people you come into contact with and they come into contact with, radiating through who knows what back channels of the world might exist that our goodwill touches into. May this day of celebrating the possibility of liberation, of freedom, this Juneteenth, and also recognizing the ongoing wise effort that's needed in the world and in our path. May this spread to the entire world, to all beings everywhere, infinitely. And may it continue to blossom in your own life. everyone. Hope we see you online, in person, by email. You can always reach us at Eightfold Path. And if you have any further questions or comments about any of our programs, we're looking. There are lots of IMC emails, but that one is one I know about. So, Come back and visit. And as they say, feel free to unmute and say goodbye. Um, it'll be a little chaotic, but it's sweet to just hear some voices. So take care, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your practice. Take care of others. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye, Chris. Bye, Em. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. I love you all. <laughs> Bye, new friends. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye